Hi, I'm Richard Niles, fighting back the tears as I say this is the last in the current series of The Arrangers. But let's not cry as we're going out on a sentimental journey full of bangs and zooms and pows in the company of the wild and crazy Mexican king of space-age pop, Juan Garcia Esquivel. hear that music, to hear those arrangements, is to think this is certainly the product of a man with a very wild musical imagination. Esquivel always has viewed himself as an arranger, and that's his idea of real creativity, is to take something familiar and turn it completely on its ear. What might otherwise seem a relatively mundane tune in another arranger's hands, when Esquivel gets at it, it comes off almost like a sonic cartoon. You know, a group of underground cartoonists were actually involved in the Esquivel revival that began in the 1980s, and it was the L.A. artist Byron Werner who first coined the phrase space-age bachelor pad music. He suggested that the target audience was, and I quote, lonely guys with too much disposable income who are nitpicky about their stereos. Hey, sounds like me before I got married. Some 40 or so years after he wrote the music, Esquivel's arrangements had finally been accepted as the futuristic classics that they are. Brother Cleave plays with the group Combustible Edison and is behind the Esquivel revival. Space Age Pop refers to music that... uh came at the dawn of the age of stereo in the late 1950s when stereophonic records first were made. Esquivel is probably the king because he would write arrangements specifically for stereo. Uh, When he used to record at Webster Hall in New York City in the late 50s, he would set up the band and write different arrangements for each speaker. The orchestra would be set up in the studio, configured like you would hear it coming out of your speakers. If things were on the left, they'd be all those people would be on the left or on the on the right and sometimes I was told that he would uh, sometimes like say send trombone players over onto the the right side from the the left because he was hearing the balance uh, that way he was probably the only arranger to write that way where he would write separate charts for each particular speaker of the stereo configuration I never thought of being a king of nothing. They invented that name, Space Age Bachelor King of Lounge. I really enjoyed the title. I think he was the best at it. I think he uh, typifies the genre in a very sensational way because his music in some ways is over the top and at the same time it has great subtlety to it. There's a wonderful range of dynamics 
the way he used instrumentation, the arrangements, the way he employed voices. There are so many peaks and valleys in his work, and of course there are the Latin textures, which uh, come from being born in Mexico. Erwin Chusid, Esquivel's manager and author of Songs in the Key of Z. always been fascinated with unraveling mechanical mysteries. When he was six, he used to stare in wonder at pianolas, those pianos that seemed to be playing all by themselves. That's what got him hooked on music, and quicker than you could say guacamole, he was teaching himself the piano. Efforts by his parents to enroll him in formal lessons were thwarted by Juan falling for his pretty teacher, but more of that later. At the age of 10, Esquivel built himself a basic radio, so intrigued was he by the then-booming technology. His entry into the professional world of arranging came when he formed and led the station orchestra at Radio XEW in his native Mexico City. He was a, a legend in Mexico because of his many years performing on the radio. But I imagine working in radio, he realized that the sounds picked up by the microphone were different than the sounds that were heard by the human ear. His ears were very sensitive to the way that sounds that emerged from instruments and voices would be translated onto recording tape and how they'd be affected by the microphones that were used and the positioning of those microphones. So I'm sure he spent an awful lot of time listening to playback and perhaps rearranging the instruments, uh, maybe even rearranging his arrangement so that it would sound different on tape and maybe sound closer to what he envisioned when he heard it in his head. myself, I know it's one thing to have lots of ideas, but then you've got two jobs ahead of you. The first is to be able to manifest your ideas in a technical way, from a thorough mastery of harmony and orchestration. But then you're faced with the real challenge, to choose which ideas to use and which to abandon, to develop your own original and recognizable style. 
Like the other arrangers in this series, Esquivel had style in spades. Often dubbed the pop avant-gardist, in a kind of Spike Jones meets Salvador Dali kind of way, he likes to compare his arranging to painting a picture. He even says he can hear the colors, so the key of F-sharp is bright red, and a flat key might be deep purple or mellow yellow. Brad Bigelow curates an excellent website on Space Age Pop. One of the early shows he worked on was a comedy show where the uh, star uh, comedian named Panseco used to ask him to do things like uh, play me something that sounds like a Russian uh, walking through China. <laughs> and those kind of novelty ideas uh, inspired uh, equivalent musical inventions on the part of uh, Esquivel. And so he had a, a lot of time working there in the early days uh, in Mexico City in the radio, particularly in comic kinds of radio shows, to play around with a lot of uh, innovative ideas. I think it's characteristic of his music that you can always tell a piece by Esquivel because of the very dramatic nature of the arrangements. He really utilized the range of stereophonic techniques between the two channels, and he also was very much interested in using a very wide range of dynamics and instrumentation. My trademark is to try to do something that no one else, else has tried before. When they give me a number to be arranged, I treat it like if I have a doll in my hands. And I take all the, the dresses that the doll has, and I start dressing the doll, I imagine could be a Chinese or a French or a Spanish girl. Perhaps I will put a big cigar on her mouth. I know that my music has to be listened several times to be understood. I can't classify it. I can't tell you this is my system. Part of his uh, secret ingredients were the fact that he relied on a number of the best studio musicians in, available in the Hollywood uh, system of that time. So, uh, for example, his vocal chorus was usually the Randy Van Horn singers, who used almost a trademark zoo-zoo-zoo uh, wordless chorus accompaniment to it, a lot of the uh, pieces that he put together. Another uh, frequent contributor was the steel guitarist or console guitarist, Alvino Ray, who provided the glissando runs up the uh, steel guitar that uh, came off sounding like a spaceship kind of effect. 
He used people like uh, Muzzy Marcelino, who was a, a well-known whistler uh, in the studio system to provide vocal accents. And he was also very interested in using unusual instruments. different things with brass, having them just sort of blast out from different uh, speakers. He was a, very influenced by Stan Kenton and the, the whole progressive jazz movement. Pete Rugolo, who it turned out he worked with for a number of years at uh, Universal. So there's a lot of that, you know, the dissonance that was involved in that ninths and thirteens and that type of uh, progressive harmony. And of course, his piano playing, which is sort of, uh, what would the, be the word to describe Esquivel's uh, piano playing beyond flamboyant, was uh, definitely part of his, his style. Keyboard wizardry of Esquivel. There's just no mistaking the raindrop pianos, glass-shattering brass, perky xylophones, sliding guitars, and wordless chorus that make up an Esquivel arrangement. Juan was signed to RCA in 1957 and moved from Mexico to the United States. His first U.S. session is the stuff of legend. Given five hours of studio time, Juan completed his album Other Worlds, Other Sounds with 90 minutes to spare. So what did he do? Well, record another album, of course, Four Corners of the World. But his recording pinnacle came in 1962 with the pioneering album Latinesque. Well, certainly at least one of uh, Esquivel's recordings is probably not likely ever to be imitated again, and that's, of course, his uh, most dramatic stereo album, Latinesque, where he actually went to the extent of having two separate orchestras in two separate studios and he and uh, his fellow conductor Stanley Wilson were linked up uh, by a telephone line to uh, coordinate their activities to really accentuate the stereo effect and I know I've seen comments from a number of the studio musicians who participated in that session who uh, went into it wondering how in the heck is he ever going to pull this off and yet somehow it worked. because RCA having asked me if I was willing not, not to receive any royalties on 60,000 albums because I wanted to give away an album to each person that would buy a stereo set. So we, we gave away 60,000 copies of Latinesque.
Juan Garcia Esquivel recalling the birth of his now cult album Latinesque. It's hard to believe that he agreed to the giving away of those albums. You see, Esquivel was a notoriously scrupulous taskmaster and took great care in arranging his business affairs. Consider the rules, bylaws, and regulations of belonging to the Esquivel organization. For instance, singers had to give four months' notice before getting married. A musician late for rehearsal was fined a dollar a minute, and if his svelte vocalists gained any weight, they were fined five dollars per pound. No one pays attention unless you hurt their pocket, said the band leader. This was a man who liked to be in control. Most of the successful band leaders always were definitely in control and uh, maintained their, their vision completely every step of the way. I got to spend a fair amount of time with Neely Plum, uh, who passed away just recently, uh, a few years back, discussing the albums that he produced with Esquivel in Los Angeles in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, he would talk about how many times they would just be mixing and mixing. And, you know, the recording would be pretty brutal, too, but uh, he's never really been completely satisfied with any of his uh, recordings. I do know that he spent an awful lot of the record company's money. <laughs> he had a budget-be-damned attitude. Uh, this was relayed to me by uh, Neely Plum, who was one of Esquivel's producers at RCA Victor, who said that the, the bottom line didn't matter. I mean, it wasn't Esquivel's money. In a, in a sense, it was, because this is money that was being charged against his account, and certainly he would be liable for recoupment in the sales of records before he would receive royalties. So in effect, it was his money, but I, he didn't think that way. He was thinking more, how can I achieve the perfection that I seek? And to that end, cost was no uh, obstacle. Not only was Esquivel a tireless leader in his professional life, he was also rather notorious in his private life. This is the man who was so meticulous in his dashing appearance that he perfected a way of walking that didn't crease his shoes. Is this part and parcel of having the soul of a hot-blooded Latino? It's a, a Latin thing with Latin men. There's that whole sort of machismo and the Latin lover. Is why there's a stereotype of that? Because it exists. And, uh, you know, Esquivel was, uh, he was a very good-looking man and uh, just uh, something about the culture. Oh, he was a high roller, there was no question. Uh, he was a carouser. He was a drinker. He liked the life of luxury. When he was in Mexico, I'm sure he was accustomed to a certain measure of luxury because he was a celebrity, he was a star, he was considered a genius, he was a fascinating man and a dynamic performer. But I'm sure when he came to America, uh, that lifestyle increased immeasurably. You know, as far as him being the great Latin lover, I mean, there are legendary accounts of, of him being a Lothario. The funny thing is, he... Um, 
He used to say he was married three times. At some point, he changed that to four. There was a paradox there about him being a, a wild man, because he was actually a very elegant man with a, a great measure of reserve in his behavior. I always got the impression that this is a man who, if he had a temper, I don't think he would show it in public. Wow, too much of a girl. Mucha muchacha. He wasn't the kind of man who would、uh, get drunk and get up on top of a, a, you know, a cocktail table and dance. I, I think he always had a certain dignity about him, a certain elegant bearing. The wildness is really best expressed in his music, because to hear that music, to hear those arrangements, to hear those horns, that percussion, is to think this is certainly the product of a man with a very wild musical imagination. A wild musical imagination has to be fed and nourished. In this case, by Chiquitas, Esquivel said of this piece, "Mucha Muchacha," that it was inspired one day in New York's Central Park. Fashion had just given birth to the miniskirt, and Juan was quite content to watch the leggy parade. Hello, muchacha. Oh, hello, muchacha. No, no, me muchacho. You muchacha. You know, like me Tarzan, you Jane. Me muchacho, you muchacha. Oh, you muchacho, me muchacha. Wow, too much of a girl. Mucha muchacha. My influence is based on all the arrangers in the world because I listen to them. I try not to follow them. I just try to be myself. No influence in my music. I like all the musicians. You you see me listening to the ranchero music in Mexico, and the next thing I will play will be Beethoven Fifth Symphony, and the next thing I will listen will be songs by the Beatles. My favorite arrangers are Pete Rugolo or Henry Mancini. He was a fabulous guy. Esquivel was very sad to learn of the death in 1994 of Henry Mancini, who had been his idol. Esquivel's music fascinates musicians for its kaleidoscopic ideas and technical brilliance, but it also delights the listener for its sheer sense of fun. This universal appeal has allowed his music to be used in widely varying ways. Ever heard that piece, Mana Mana? Well, he used that piece for the Muppets, but he originally wrote it for the sexploitation flick Sweden, Heaven and Hell. <laughs> well, if you haven't already looked, you might like to check out what's lurking in your old record collection. Dust down in Esquivel, and you might find yourself commanding the bidding on eBay. These records have been brought out of obscurity and straight into orbit. I'm glad the music now is out there, and that these artists from the 50s and 60s are being recognized, and that their music isn't simply being dismissed 
as being something that can be on in the background but isn't really worthy of uh, attention in the foreground. The talents of these musicians and of course of these arrangers, the way they arranged for the microphones, I think uh, is, is, is genius in so many cases, certainly as regards Esquivel. I'm very glad that uh, all of this music got rediscovered and uh, we took it out of the thrift stores and, uh, and into the future. Just showing that there's a real value in it and it wasn't the schlock that a lot of people think easy listening is. I'm glad to know the man and uh, at this point I think he may even outlive me. Music is my, my everything in life. What an inspiration. 83 years old, Esquivel spoke to us from his home in rural Mexico. Muchas gracias, Senor Esquivel. And sombreros off to Brother Cleve, Brad Bigelow, and Erwin Chusid. Seeing as it's the last in the series, I'd also like to thank the techno wizard who's mixed the music of all the arrangers, Senor Graham Knowles, and as always, that sonic senorita, my producer, Elizabeth Clark. And so, our present series comes to an end. I'm still Richard Niles, and I'll be thinking of you night and day till the next series of The Arrangers. Day and night, night and day. Radio Richard is a unique collection of my interviews with fellow creators, revealing not only how they do that voodoo that they do so well, but why. So please, like, share, subscribe, and donate so I can keep this channel going and give you this great content. Radio Richard, be informed, be amazed, be inspired. <laughs>